calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Wielding the one power once again. It's episode 45 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and the Wheel of Time Season 2 is now streaming the first couple of episodes anyway on Prime Video, and I got a chance to talk to the stunt coordinator for the show, Jan Petrina, who does such a great job, so far anyway, with this season, because you know, we've only seen a couple of episodes, right? So just a, a great job, and I got a chance to sit down with him and talk about, not you know, spoiler-free, of course, in case you haven't got, gotten a chance to see it, spoiler-free chat about what's going on in this upcoming season and from the last season as well, and what the biggest difference is, and just the sheer volume of this season alone. Yeah, that's something I want to dig into him with him as well. Also, going to talk about the live-action One Piece, give you my review of that coming up from Netflix. And there was a historic, at least I think it's historic, as far as in the middle of the strike goes, a deal that was struck between SAG-AFTRA and one particular network. I'm definitely going to be talking about that and so much more coming up in Nerd News. I mean, some major, major stuff as far as I'm concerned. So why are we wasting time yakking about what you're going to be hearing? Let's just get right to it, shall we? Going to talk to Jan Petrina from The Wheel of Time. We'll talk season two next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Kent, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The stakes are definitely higher in season two of The Wheel of Time. First few episodes now streaming on Prime Video. And it was actually great to get a chance to talk to somebody about the show, I got a chance to talk to somebody you wouldn't normally talk to about something like this, and that is the stunt coordinator for the Wheel of Time, Jan Petrina. And you want to talk about big action? This season is definitely going to have that. So I'm going to talk to Jan about that and a couple of other things as well. I wanted to ask you, because you've got a lot going on, what's the biggest difference for you between season one and season two? Well, of course, like the action is a lot bigger. You've got all the characters doing a little bit more. Of fighting, they got more skilled and and everything. It's the scale is a lot bigger than what it was season one. You know, in season one we just introduced them and they slowly got into actually being fighters and and, and things like that. But now they're you know becoming leaders of you know groups and stuff and then heroes basically. Absolutely. And you guys got to film in a lot of different locations this time. Your characters were a bit spread out. A lot of different set pieces as well. So is that making it a little bit more challenging for you, having these different locations and these different set pieces to coordinate these stunts? 
Yes, it does. And also like to change locations, go to different places. Like we went to Italy and Morocco. And so you always have to find someone that you can work with in those places. And luckily, like working in this long in the industry, you got a lot of friends that you can contact and ask them and recommend people. So we get a great team in, in Morocco that helped us there to achieve what we need to achieve later in the season. And, and there's great stunts in Italy as well. So it was good to actually go in and see some of the older faces that we knew from back in the day when I did stunts. So, so it was, it was good fun. It's good fun. The whole show basically. How much work are you doing with the props team, with the VFX team? Because you've got some magical elements to play in the show. You also have new characters, new weapons, and things like that. So how much are you actually working with them to be able to do what you need to do for your team? Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's, it's definitely like, you know, work together because you've got some, some of the weapons and some of the designs are already made by the books and the fans. So you kind of go through the fan base and you speak with the showrunner Rave and with the directors. We have Sana, Thomas and Maya, see what they expect to see, you know, with the character, what he needs to do, what he needs to achieve. Then you also speak with the prop guys and the weapon guys that, to see what they can come up with that kind of, you know, still follows the original design, but can be something new or something that we can work with. And, you know, make it light enough for the car so they can go and fight the whole day with that and make it soft enough just in case they hit themselves or someone else. So it's a lot of things in like involved of getting things ready. And same with the set. Like we had lots of set pieces made from foam because there was a lot of lot, lot of female hitting walls and grounds and you know things like that. So you want to make sure that even if you use the cast for the last part of it you can still do a little bit of impact to make it more realistic so yeah it's, it's definitely you know, working together with everybody else i understand there's going to be a scene coming up this season with kate and with zoe and the one power and the teaching moments there so how much fun was it working with them and how much can you tell us about that scene well it was great because it was actually it was probably one of the first scenes we shot as a stunt you know for stunt team it, with, the, with the season so we had Zoe and Kate coming early and we did some hard work with them and training and to see what kind of hardness they're comfortable with and then and we try to do you know the wire work with them and to see how fast we can travel them and and you know how to take the the edge of the impact and stuff so it, it was great and it's not a big scene so it's quite nice scene to start you know with so you can you know easily jump in and go bigger and bigger Jan, before I let you go, I've seen some other members of the, of the crew and, and cast say that the, some of the stunt work on here and some of the scenes, some of the biggest stunt scenes that they've ever been a part of. So I got to ask, you've done a lot in your career. Do you think that some of the scenes you've had this season are some of the biggest stunts you've been a part of ever? I think in some ways, yes, because you kind of need to see how big the scale is of course we i work in 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 scenes that you get 200 and more people and then other things but also you get more amount of time in the preparation and the crew is bigger here it's a little bit less time to make you know things happen and also you start filming and you be prep, prepping things while filming and while the set is being finished and you kind of try to push yourself in and get some time there so you can do all the wirings and get things ready while the set dressing is being done and while the final touches are being done. So it's very challenging for everybody, you know, to be to, to kind of steal their little bit of time in the wheel of time to get things ready. So in that, 
you know, in that like kind of comparison, I think it's one of the biggest things that I've done. And we'll have to see just how big it gets. Season two of the Wheel of Time premieres on Prime Video on September the 1st. Can't wait to see what happens, what you got cooked up. Jan Petrina, thank you so much. Jan Petrina, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I'll tell you one thing that fascinates me about this season in the Wheel of Time, where you kind of start out where not every, everybody's not together, and then all of a sudden they're together in season one. And once you start season two, everybody's kind of spread out, and everybody's almost, I want to say, kind of got their own thing going on, but at the same time, they don't because there's always a central focus of this show, right? So I just thought it was super, super interesting how everybody was spread out at first. And well, again, I don't want to do any spoilers here or anything since the interview was spoiler free. I don't want to go ahead and start jumping into spoilers now, but just how this season evolves, especially in the early going, I thought was really neat. And Rand's story has fascinated me from the beginning and the fact that, you know, these characters now, they all have decisions to make. And, you know, maybe this thing starts off a little depressing for some of them, but seeing how, again, this sort of, this story sorts of sort of evolves and you kind of, even in these early episodes, sort of see where they're going with this, right? You sort of see, oh, okay, so this is what's happening. And there's a couple of major developments in these first couple of episodes as well, again, that I don't want to spoil because it's, it's big stuff in case you haven't gotten a chance to see it. And some characters, you know, d- have definitely changed their dynamics with others. And again, that's the best way I can say it without spoiling anything. But it really does feel bigger this season. And it doesn't feel like they're going to waste a ton of time either. One of my gripes about season one was is that it kind of felt slow to start off. But this second season doesn't feel like it's starting slow at all. And it in these characters, because we're not introducing these characters for the first time, I mean, some of them you do, but for the most part, our core group of characters, we're seeing them face real consequences and, you know, bigger stakes right away. And some of the action sequences that you even see early on, they feel pretty big too. So I kind of understand what Jan is saying about that. And, you know, what some of the other cast members have had to say in interviews that they did before the strike, of course, you know, stuff that's stuff that was recorded beforehand and stuff that Prime Video has released on their channels where you hear the cast and the directors and the producers talking about it. And it does feel bigger this season. And, and this, again, one of those where you have to wait week to week to get new episodes. But you already got, what, the first three episodes that are dropped on Prime Video right now. So you've definitely got plenty of fix for the Wheel of Time that you can get from these first few episodes anyway of season two that are out now weekly on Fridays after that. So September the 8th is when you're going to be able to see the next episode. Then you'll be pretty much, what, halfway through the season almost anyway. And then don't worry, you've already got a season three that's been confirmed. So this is one of those shows that you can invest your time in and you're not going to worry about having the rug pulled out from under you. So make sure you're watching The Wheel of Time on Prime Video. First few episodes of Season 2 streaming now, and you've got all of Season 1. If you haven't gotten a chance to jump in yet, you can absolutely do that. Again, I want to thank thank Jan Petrina for joining me to talk about The Wheel of Time Season 2 and folks at Prime Video for helping to make that happen. Up next, another great show that I couldn't wait to watch, One Piece, now streaming on Netflix. My spoiler-free review of that show coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. My name is uh, Liam Sharp. I draw Wonder Woman. I co-founded Mayfire, and I'm a dear and close friend of the Down and Nerdy podcast. We all just want to be members of the Straw Hat crew. One Piece is now streaming on Netflix, the live-action version. Anyway, I'm going to do spoiler-free here, because you might not have had a chance to watch it, even though we had the long holiday weekend to do that. I just don't feel like dropping any spoilers, so I'm just not going to do it. And yes, this is based on the anime of the same name with Luffy and the crew trying to find the One Piece treasure and become the king of the pirates. And there's a lot of pirates. And I will say, I, I was not, I, I was I was familiar with the anime, but actually never had a chance to watch the anime. Maybe this makes you say, I don't know what I'm talking about. But quite frankly, there are going to be people who didn't watch the anime. They're going to watch this first. And this is just as much for them as it is for anybody who's a diehard One Piece fan. So I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there right now. And I got to say, just on the surface, just knee-jerk reaction, loved it. I was just so taken in by these characters, by the setting. I'm a sucker for a good pirate epic. And I say that as somebody who wasn't a huge fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, honestly. I know a lot of people loved them. There was a couple that I liked, and but for the most part, eh. You know, it wasn't you know, really my thing, and I don't really want to compare these two things because I don't feel like they're the same thing. So I'm not going to go ahead and make that comparison. I'm just saying, as far as pirate stuff goes, I am all in. And especially with Luffy. I loved Luffy from the very beginning. Inyaki Godoy, I, his portrayal 
of Monkey D. Luffy. I loved it so, so much. That is a character that I was immediately drawn to for sure. And then you kind of see the the rest of this crew. And I say that I say crew. Very early on, they're very much not a crew at all. Not a chance. And I, I love how none of them really gets along. They all act like they don't need each other. And then you slowly but surely start to realize, eh, yeah, maybe this, maybe this is something I should be doing. Maybe this is something that will work out. And I love that they don't really take too long to explain, you know, how Luffy can do what he can do. And I think that that was really unique. And kind of you see that from a, as a young boy, he, he really wanted to be a pirate. And he got, you know, tried to talk out of it. And he could not talk him out of it. So that was another, you know, really cool part that didn't drag that out. They got that right out there in the open right away. So I thought that that was a really smart idea. And just him and Shanks in the beginning, I thought that was really neat how they how they put that whole thing together and he's like you know being a pirate's not all about you know fighting and plundering and all that other stuff there's sometimes you can't solve things with violence and then luffy does the whole you know there's good pirates and bad pirates thing and i thought that that was really cool and the relationship that he has with kobe early on i thought was so great the fact that he now this is a little bit of a spoiler i said i wasn't going to do any but screw it i changed my mind when he rescues him from alvida that was a really cool moment and how he basically tells him, dude, you can do whatever you want. The positivity that kind of radiates off of Luffy is so amazing. And he just wants to be the best. He wants to be the king of the pirates, but pirates by his own definition, right? And he knows there's good pirates and bad pirates, and he wants to be one of the good ones. So I thought that, you know, some people, I've, I've heard some people who are big One Piece fans, you know, Luffy's not grumpy enough. This isn't, you know, exactly the kind of Luffy that I remember. A, you got to remember this is Luffy very early. And B, you know, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing here. You're going to take some liberties. And this show, as far as I've, you know, and I kind of, you know, backtracked and saw what other fans were saying that were a fan of the anime. This show takes its liberties and, you know, when I do watch the anime, and this definitely got me interested in watching the anime, I'll know what those differences are. It's just like seeing a movie before you read the book, right? And I've done that before, too. And then you go back and see, you know, what details were added in the book that weren't in the movie and things like that. You can go the other way. You can you can backtrack and watch the original source material. And, and you know, there's manga, too. So I'm going to maybe dive into that as well. It's just one of those things where... It, you know, it doesn't matter how you start. It's, it's, you know, the fact that you get interested in the fandom and you want to jump in there. And, it'll, and I know it'll be different. Nami was really cool. Zoro was one of my favorite characters, too. And McKenyu, who, of course, was in Knights of the Zodiac, if you want to hear my interview with him, talking about that. That was about, yeah, 20-ish episodes ago. This is why you subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And then that way, you can go back and find out this kind of stuff. McKenyu just plays these roles well. And he's so good at the action sequences. He's so, he's trained so, so well for something like this. And Roanoa Zoro is like this unstoppable fighting machine, and I love that, especially it was a big battle scene in the first episode that I really, really dug when we kind of first meet him and find out what he can do. And then and then Nami's just really... She's a fun character. She's the, she's the grumpy one of the bunch, I think, really. Because Zoro has a little bit of a, a quirky edge to him, at times he like he can be funny, and Nami seems like she's the grumpy one, and you know, that's the kind of thing you kind of unpack as the season goes on. And then you get to see some of the other pirates 
that are in this thing. Like you get to see Buggy at the end of the first episode. And of course, there's more on him as the season goes on and some of the others. And it's just really cool to see these characters and how the character designs are put out. I thought that the character designs were really neat. I thought the set pieces were very, very well done in this show and just how they unpack the story. It can be a little slow at times. Sure. And it's not perfect, but there's just so much joy that radiates out of this show. And especially in the action sequences and from Luffy himself, I couldn't help but love the freaking show. And I think that it doesn't, it's not too tropey either. It doesn't have a lot of like pirate tropes or anything like that. I've read that again from fans of the, of the anime and the manga that it gets a little fan servicey at times and you know, I didn't really pick up on that. Obviously, again, once I go back, maybe I will. And I guess that can kind of be annoying. But for somebody who isn't coming into this familiar with the original source material and just wanted to check it out, I, I knew of the again, I knew of the source material, just hadn't gotten there yet, right? So anybody that's coming into this fresh, I think, will not notice those things and won't be annoyed by it. If anything, they'll just be like, "Oh, this is something that." You know, this this is something that kind of adds to my enjoyment of the show. So you have to kind of understand it from both sides of the coin. I understand if somebody's already familiar with these things or, you know, the, you know, it's like Star Wars, right? You know, in any new Star Wars that they're doing fan service. Ahsoka is a perfect example. Like if you're a Star Wars Rebels fan, you know what the you know where the fan service is coming from and that thing. But they don't again, they don't overdo it on Ahsoka either. And. And I'm curious to see what you think. Do they overdo it in One Piece? And you know, we and then we've got Garp. There's a nice little bookend to his character in the in this first run of episodes, which I think was really cool. And you know, him kind of being the foil for the for this first you know batch of episodes. For, first batch of episodes, anyway, was really neat. And the and you know the Marines aspect, of course. And there's so many other characters that we meet along the way, but it also doesn't feel like too much at the same time, because this is a, this is a story that has a lot of different characters and there can be a lot of different things to keep track of, but the way that they introduced them throughout this first batch of eight episodes, I thought they did a pretty good job. It didn't feel to me like it was too much I've seen plenty of shows and movies and things like that that deal with a lot of characters, like a big cast of characters. And it just seems like, okay, who's who and how am I keeping track of everything again. Sometimes you get that, but in this show, I did not feel that way. I thought that, especially how they introduced the other pirates, I thought was really, really smart. And the way they built this straw hat crew and how they sort of start to bond together and, you know, the ups and downs that they take throughout these first batch of episodes, really, really freaking well done. If you saw the action in the trailer, they don't give everything away in the trailer either, which I thought was really cool. You kind of get to see more than just what you get in the trailer. And there's action sequences. I mean, there's certainly parts of things that you see in the trailer, but you don't get the full story. And I and I love that they don't give that away. So really well done in the action sequences, set pieces as well. I love the practical effects that they have in this thing. So you don't have to worry about a ton of, you know, bad CG or anything like that. The stunt coordinators, freaking amazing job with what you did. And I can't wait for this next round of episodes, quite frankly. I thought One Piece was really enjoyable. I can't wait to go back and find more. The good thing is, is like, even though I, have to, I know I have to wait for the live action stuff, I don't have to wait for the anime because it's there. I don't have to wait for the manga because it's already there. So I can get my fix on One Piece 
while I'm waiting, and there's plenty to choose from while I'm waiting for the live action stuff, and I can finally catch up on the anime stuff as well. So One Piece, as far as I'm concerned, whether you're already familiar with the fandom or you're just introducing yourself to it for the first time and from, from the live action perspective, it's a hit as far as I'm concerned. And I think it's you know breaking records for Netflix for a reason, and I'm seeing a lot of great stuff from fans as well. Definitely worth your time. One Piece, the live action version, now streaming on Netflix. And that's going to do it for my review of One Piece. Up next, how about we dig into some nerd news and a historic deal? Talk more about that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Kirsty Bryan from Tales of the Walking Dead, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Walking Dead seems to be walking once again. It's time for nerd news, and here's the deal. You've heard about these interim agreements from the SAG after strike not too long ago, right? Well, get this. This one's a big one, and I mean a really big one. Apparently, AMC Networks and Sagra After have agreed on an interim agreement to keep a few of their shows filming. Now, this deal appears to be specific to the Daryl Dixon Walking Dead series, which is going to be premiering in September. The Ones Who Live, the other Walking Dead spinoff, and Season 2 of Interview with a Vampire, all which had to pause filming, all which had to shut down production because of the strikes. Well, now they are going to pick back up because of this agreement according to Deadline. Now, none of these, none of the terms of these deals were disclosed, but you'd have to think that basically any agreement that's been given by SAG-AFTRA, especially to some of these independent productions, it's been because they've pretty much agreed to everything that SAG-AFTRA has wanted in these agreements with the studios. Now, it's interesting to note that AMC, according to the article, is an AMPTP authorized company, but it's not part of the overall negotiations as far as the strike is concerned. I'm not sure how much that really matters, but it certainly plays a role in this, I would think. But here's the deal. The fact that they've been able to do this, and I'm wondering if... It, to me, this seems like a, it's a good thing for Walking Dead fans. And it's funny because one of the AMC CEO, I think it was, was saying how they were good until the end of 2024. And now you make a move like this, I think, is is very interesting. But there's also such a thing called momentum. If you can keep the momentum going and you don't have to slow things down and you maybe think there's not much end in sight to this and you want to strike now while the iron's hot and you've got a chance to do something like this, then you might as well. Right, So it seems like that's exactly what they're doing. They're giving themselves a chance to start things back up again. And I'm wondering if this is a sign of the fact that maybe this thing is not even anywhere close to over. I mean, this strike's been pretty ugly since it started. It seems like nothing good has happened since then. Even with the, the, the talk that's going on with the studios and the writers right now, is just it seems like it keeps getting worse and worse. Every new story that you see pop up, these studios are starting to hire all these PR firms now. I think they're on their sixth one, if you believe what you're seeing on social media, and I have no reason not to when it comes to something like this. And there's a lot of crisis mode stuff going on right now. So AMC, who is kind of outside of these negotiations, they want to say, you know, let's you know keep business as usual going and find out a way to do that. And guess what? They found a way to do that with these shows and these shows specifically. And I think they're doing this for these shows specifically because they can. And these are the ones that are most important to them. We, you, you always know there's a pecking order with any network when it comes to certain shows. And these are the ones 
that are important, and I don't think that's any surprise at all. So these ones are going to be able to keep going. I don't know for how long this is going to last, if this is an interim agreement that's going to stick, or if this is something where, you know, because sag has said that, okay, you know, those interim agreement things we were doing, we're not really going to do as many of those anymore. So maybe that ends up happening after a couple of weeks, but it looks like these people are going back to work. And I'm wondering, could we see more of these interim agreements? And it's interesting that sag was was kind of willing to enter this agreement with with AMC, which is not a huge network, but big enough that this is, you know, kind of the biggest deal like this that's happened since the strikes began, right? So you have to keep that in mind when you're looking at this thing. So is this something that's even, you know, an option for, say, an, an HBO or something like that or something somebody that might be a step up or two from... AMC and there's a lot of networks to choose from even some some smaller networks like maybe you know Stars or MGM Plus productions from those companies and things like that is this something that's possible for them I don't know now I don't know if this also means like these actors can do press for these shows too because that was something that we didn't get to do at Comic-Con didn't get to do press for these shows even though they are promoting them because of the strike so couldn't do that so I don't know if that's part of this agreement or not if it's strictly a filming agreement Hopefully, you can get a little bit more clarification on that because, of course, you know, if there's opportunities there, I want to bring them to you. you want to, I want to make sure that you're ready for these shows and we get to hear from the people that are a part of those shows as well. So, yes, definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm not sure exactly how far it's going to get, but it is definitely something that maybe we'll see more of. I'm just very curious to see if this is the start of something or if this is just like a one-off type deal. Just in case you didn't know, there is a Highlander reboot that has been planned for a while, and it is still being planned. Director Chad Stelhensky joined the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast recently and said that, you know, things are still moving, even though they can't move right now because of the strikes that are going on. So they can't really, you know, do any work on this. But the, the plan is to still do it. Henry Cavill is still attached to Star. In case you didn't know, Henry Cavill was going to be a part of this thing. And they actually, he actually hopes that the movie can spawn more movies and even a TV series, kind of like the original Highlander did. And, you know, being able to just branch the franchise out in several different directions. And he also said that, quote, they're trying to do a bit of a prequel, a setup to the gathering. So we have more room to grow the property. He actually says it's a rich, rich, rich mythology. So there's that. I mean, if we're being honest, he's not wrong, right? It certainly is, and Highlander is certainly a story that has a lot of fans. It's certainly a story that could bring in more fans that aren't even familiar with the property, and you can either modernize it a bit or not. You could do, you can go the other way as well. Like he said, there's really no limits as to how you can tell this story. So I think that this is one that has a chance to be successful when you've got a guy like Henry Cavill attached to it, especially somebody who probably knows the mythology as well and was probably a Highlander fan anyway because he's a big nerd like us. So, yeah, I think that this is a project that has a chance. But, again, with the strikes going on and no end in sight seemingly to, to get things back moving again, it's hard to have these discussions and be able to plan things out when you basically can't talk about anything. So I worry for projects like this one specifically. And that's one of the other reasons I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, only the director now can can kind of get out there and even some of the producers as well 
can get out there and start, you know, keeping these kinds of projects in the in the news for be- lack of a better way of putting it in, in, in the minds of fans and things like that because you know not exactly a lot of updates coming fast and furious on things right unless it's like a major major studio project that's already in the can so yeah I, my fingers are crossed that this one won't get lost in the shuffle somehow and that this one will continue to to have life but i i don't know i am i am a little bit worried about this one so hopefully We'll have good news coming up. Speaking of shuffling, Marvel TV certainly shuffled their calendar for sure. And I'm going to go through these as quickly as I can and then and then talk about this overall. So now we have What If Season 2. Looks like it's going to be pushed to around Christmas time this year. And, and no, it has nothing to do with Christmas. So don't don't think that. It's just that's kind of around when it's going to come out. Now they're talking about Echo, which of course is the Hawkeye spinoff, which... You know, may or may not have ter- ties to Daredevil because of the whole Fisk connection. We'll see. That one shifted to January of 2024. Then you have X-Men 97, which is now early 2024. Agatha Coven of Chaos was the name. Now apparently it's Agatha Darkhold Diary. It's going to be fall of 2024. This one's interesting to me because here's three that don't have any release dates anymore. And that's the Ironheart series, which is finished filming, by the way. They just can't work on the the after effects of this thing because of the strike. They can't they can't post productions been shut down. And then you also have Daredevil: Born Again, which is off the off the schedule. Which you can say that because if it doesn't have a release date, then it's off the schedule, right? And then Wonder Man, also not in the schedule, as well. I think that some of these are impacted more than others being kicked down down the road a little bit. I think that Agatha: Darkhold Diaries is one of them. That, you know, that's a character that was super popular in WandaVision, but doesn't it feel like forever since WandaVision was out? So to me, that's a little bit of a problem, right? X-Men 97 fans will wait for that. You've been looking for that to come back anyway. That is a fan favorite project. You'll wait forever for that if you have to. I mean, there'll still be frustration there, but there's no harm in waiting. Echo's another one. Echo's already a, a, a... little bit of a tough sell to some fans and a bit of a question mark, even though it's a, an interesting character and an interesting story to keep going. I think that that one has been delayed now a couple of times. It's actually been taken off the schedule once, too. So that one I worry for. Would it, what if I don't worry for? Because I think that's a, a, a niche kind of thing anyway. So, But Ironheart is another one. You're so far removed from a really good introduction of Riri Williams in Wakanda Forever. And now you're going to have to ask fans to backtrack for the whole Ironheart thing. Daredevil, you'll wait forever for. And Wonder Man, I don't think anybody's clamoring for that right now anyway. So I wouldn't worry about that one too much either. But this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen because of the strikes. Stuff's going to get moved. I hesitated on even giving you these release dates or release windows, wherever you, whatever you want to call it, because of the strike. So these could be moved even further, and that's the problem, with the, again, with the connected universe. When your universe is connected and you've got to move dates, remember before it was for the pandemic, and now it's for the strike. So Marvel says to shuffle a lot of dates in the last five years, and the people have said, you know, Marvel's stuff isn't as good as it used to be, and you blame it on superhero fatigue. Maybe you blame it on the fact that you, they've had to juggle so much and, and shift so much with the connected universe that maybe that's starting to affect their ability to have cohesive storytelling. So that's something to think about as well. This was all the Hollywood Reporter had this uh, exclusive story uh, this past week, by the way. I want to make sure I get that out there. 
but and, and you know for for some of these that haven't started filming yet then you got to you know can you hang on to some of these cast members even some of the writers i know they're on strike right now but you, you never know what kind of shuffling could happen based on you know when everybody gets back to work and, and there there could be it's not like everybody's just going to be able to jump back into the fray and get working right away either there's there's going to have to be some you know a little bit of time to get back up to speed sort of thing i'm sure so this is this one's something I've got my eye on. I don't know how much this is going to be affected by everything, but I've certainly got my radar up for this one and my eye on it to see what happens, especially with a couple of these shows. I think some of them will be all right. Others, eh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Finally, I wanted to talk about the Five Nights at Freddy's trailer. It's going to be in theaters and on Peacock, by the way, on October the 27th, so just in time for Halloween. And you've got Blumhouse doing this thing, so you know it's going to be cranked up. A little bit more. And Josh, Josh Hutcherson, I had no idea that he was in this. He's the guy that's going to be playing the security guard in this thing. And yes, yes, Freddy, Chica, all your favorites. If you're a Five Nights at Freddy's game fan, they're all in it. Matthew Lillard's in this too, by the way. And of course, you know, it's like Chuck E. Cheese, but horror version. If, if you're not familiar with Five Nights at Freddy's, it's the animatronic characters. You remember from Chuck E. Cheese? But it's like the horror version of that. And Josh Hutcherson kind of plays the like the lead security guard. He's the night security guard there. And he's the one that kind of, you know, experiences this. But th- there's already rumblings of, you know, oh, stuff that goes on at Freddy's sort of thing. So it's it I'll tell you what though. It looked creepy as hell. I was I was freaked out just by the trailer. Never mind anything else. I mean, the fact that, you know, these animatronic characters could come come to life at night and start, you know, slashing people up. That's already like a freaky thing. And then you bring it to life like this. And in live action, it just seems a little bit more scary, a little bit more creepy. I love the fact that it looks like they're going with more practical effects, too. And we're not trying to throw a whole lot of CG out there. I think that that's a really good idea. And I've seen a lot of Five Nights at Freddy's fans saying, you know, they've been trying to do this forever after the games. They've even tried to make new games. They just can't seem to get it right. You know, what makes you think this is going to be something that they're going to be able to get right? I think that this is something that, yeah, don't overthink it. You'll, you'll Don't lean too much into it, right? And you think to yourself, well, you know, this is just a, like, you have to treat this as a B-movie, okay? You have to treat this as a cult classic horror slasher type movie. And I think that's how you approach this. If you overthink it, expect it to be just like the games or whatever, you're not going to, You're. I don't think you're going to get that. You have to lean into not necessarily the silliness, but the craziness and off the wallness that is Five Nights at Freddy's, especially when translating into live action, especially from a video game to live action can already be difficult anyway. But this especially, I think if you lean into this, don't overthink it. Go into it and see just how they put these characters together and how the, the effects is one of the things that's going to matter the most to me. Are the effects going to be good enough? Is the practical Are the practical effects going to be good enough? Are they going to be able to do the property justice? I want to see that. Because everything else, like the acting in it, I'm not looking for great acting or anything like that. Great reaction, sure. And the story is going to be, the story is what it is. There's not much you can do with this story. You're, don't look for anything too deep. 
just Blumhouse is going to lean into their B-movie style for this. They're going to lean into, you know, making these cult classic horror films. And I think that that's exactly what they're going to try and do here. Don't overthink it and just give something that the fans can enjoy. Because, hey, they made, like, how many Sharknado movies? And I'm not trying to compare the two. They made a ton of those because fans didn't overthink it. And they just enjoyed it for what it was. I don't know why you can't do the same thing with this. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Jan Petrina for joining me to talk about all the great stunts that you're going to be seeing in Season 2 of The Wheel of Time on Prime Video, which is now streaming, by the way. Make sure you follow us online at downandnerdypodcast.com, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, Instagram, and threads, not that I use threads ever, at downandnerdypod on TikTok, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Appreciate your support there, and make sure you're subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. That certainly helps out. A ton. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.